Hello, audio-only listener. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started. This is a recording of a live podcast episode that aired live on YouTube. We usually go live at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesdays. That being said, we may be making references to things that can only be seen on screen. Don't worry, you're not going to miss out on any information because of this. Just some things may not make sense because we're making a reference to something that is on screen. And with that out of the way, thank you so much for joining us and enjoy the episode. Shalom Aleichem and welcome to uh, another episode of Killing the Church. <laughs> uh, I didn't have like a clever intro ready. I just realized that I just realized that now, actually, I was like, oh, we've broken tradition. I didn't think of anything. <laughs> well, this is my clever intro telling you guys and admitting to you guys that sometimes we show up to the show and we're like, wow, I have all these show notes and I didn't prep an intro. <laughs> 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 so, uh, shalom, all my homies. Uh, what's happening? We got, um, we got the meme Lord up in the chat today. <laughs> Mr. Smiles. Um, and, uh, wow, that music seems a little loud. Let me back it off a little bit here. How are you doing, uh, tonight, uh, Mr. and Mrs. So, R Rabbi and Rebidson, how are, how are you two doing tonight? <laughs> <laughs> doing, doing wonderful. Um, it's, uh, it's been quite a week, but I have been looking forward to doing this show tonight. So, you know. I always look forward to the show. Oh, a quick announcement, because I told everybody I would tell them how it went. Um, the, the, the theology and beer thing that I went to. Right. Um, it was, it was pretty cool. It was, uh, predominantly, um, you know, reform the theology based. It was a discussion on prayer. Um, so, you know, it was, uh, it was a good time, good time, uh, kind of discussing, you know, when, when to pray, why to pray, how to pray, you know, uh, <laughs> Pretty typical Sunday school discussion. You know, three times at the designated hours to coincide with the offerings. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> obviously, you weren't in the, the kind of... Uh, but yeah, uh, so somebody already noticed in the chat, it's a little uh, conspicuous. We have different hats today, and it's primarily because of tonight's topic. Uh, we're talking about rabbinic authority, so we're dressed more like uh, within keeping with rabbinic authority, actually. So. And, and, and we're going to talk about uh, a number of issues uh, and topics today, um, ranging from things like, essentially, we, we, we're going to hope to answer the question, you know, what exactly did uh, Yeshua expect from his disciples concerning the authorities, like the rabbinate, uh, or at least the scribes and the Pharisees that would become the rabbinate? And what did, what did Paul expect of the, of the early uh, ecclesia? Uh, when it came to the rabbinic authority um and um yeah so we we got we got a lot of material um but it should be fun it, it is it it sounds like a boring topic like law but it should be fun honestly i am looking forward it'll to be it. a good time i uh always look forward to doing these episodes so before we get started and we uh share each other's uh spirits for today which i'm actually going for a not spirit but i'm still you know hard drinks for hard theology right um, yes. But before we get started, 
Uh, do not forget, please, to bless the like button and the Nomine Pathetic Affiliate Spiritus Sancti, the subscribe button. <laughs> not changing that. I love that too much. Yep. And uh, if you are uh, drinking tonight with us, comment what you're drinking below. If you got any recommendations, definitely throw them our way and we'll give them a shot. Um, this is a very interactive live show, so if you got questions, throw them in the chat. If uh, and then we'll get to it if it's you know if it's if it's good or if it stands out or if you know we we, we try to get to as many questions as we can, but um, just depending. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think that's all of the formalities and algorithmic stuff out of the way, right? <laughs> uh, did we do a shout out? Thank to we forgot the shout out. Shout out to who? To to our patrons. Oh. Uh, yes. Uh, actually, hold on. Yeah, I need to, I need to do a thing here. Cause I gotta get, I gotta get rid of this <laughs> in order to pull this up, which temporarily stops the music, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, yeah, so a, this is a, uh, once again, this video is brought to you by our, um, top tier heretics and uh, really all of our heretics. Um, uh, every single dollar really helps, really means a lot. Um, there's a lot of big things coming. Uh, because of your guys' support. And one of those things, we announced it last week, but not vocally. And Brad, if you want to tell them what it is we're doing. <laughs> uh, well, we are launching our website. It's going to be a big thing. We're, we're working on, we're working on uh, merch items and articles and stuff. So, uh, and, and a, few, a few really neat courses uh, that are going to be you know more practical knowledge on practical observance and so um, yeah it's going to be an awesome time uh the uh yeah the 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 merch items actually i've been the most excited about <laughs> we got a, we got some really fun stuff in there and also by the way if you guys have ideas of things that you would like to see on the merch store things that you would want to have uh, drop it in the chat. We will probably turn it into something. I mean, why not? Um, so, you know, definitely crowdsource, you know, what, whatever you guys want to see here or whatever. Um, we're here, we are here to try and serve you guys as much as possible. And even if that means making a mug that has some stupid thing you heard us say once on it, I mean, whatever, we'll put it up there. <laughs> Coming from the literal web developer. <laughs> 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 oh man but uh, yeah i already have a hoodie designed william yeah. turner <laughs> we got some hoodies uh we got you know beer glasses uh we have uh a couple of stuff oh this is an idea we we intended to pass by some people um and you guys can uh turn in your votes on our discord server uh let us know what you think in the i guess i, I guess in the uh the patreon section or the main chat um biblically based dark humor yes we've we've considered putting some biblically based dark humor on some items they're all saying no mugs in the chat no mugs really yeah we've got two no mugs <laughs> interesting so wow that's really interesting so they're okay so there's a couple of mugs but you don't have to buy them that's fine right um, i got a mug because the mug that i designed i want <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think after they see the mug, they'll want it. Just saying. That may, yeah, maybe. Uh, you know, we'll we'll see. Uh, everyone has a mug. It's sort of like a obligatory merch uh, Ooh, swag. That's one I hadn't thought of. Everybody's saying stickers. 
I, I hadn't sticking. even considered stickers. Yep. But stickers um, is an option, and stickers will be easy. Honestly, that's been the first thing on my mind. The Patreon actually automatically sends stickers to certain tiers too, so we do have some some stickers. But there yeah, we so go. We got we got one for mugs. A beta girl. <laughs> I, look at that. All right. The that one vote counts for 50. So if you guys want no mugs, patches and pins. Yep. That, okay. So all these options, some, some of these I've already started on and some of them are very easy to make. So I'll, yeah. uh, I'll spend a day doing that. <laughs> but, uh, so, uh, the website drops August 1st. Once again, um, we got, plenty of articles on there uh we uh are gonna kind of i guess start moving away from the, the patreon uh and drop everything through the website so that everything is kind of neat and organized in certain areas with classes uh we'll be teaching courses on some basic like how to uh a question we get all the time is like okay where do i start we're, we're gonna have classes for that literally you can take like a, an actual course um uh, the articles, videos, exclusive content, all of that stuff is going on the website. That drops on the 1st of August, which is coincidentally the first day of the new Torah portion, Devarim. We start a whole new book uh, beginning with that day. And so um, I'm, uh, anyway, I'm excited. That's what we've got going on. Uh, let me, let me get rid of the, the, this and bring back that <laughs> hey now it looks like home yeah there we go oh and let me get rid of that sliding banner that's getting old real quick boom okay so tonight's topic um first right. what are you drinking tonight <laughs> i am uh wrapping up on the iw harper i'll, I'll oh. start much smaller bottles that way i can cycle something out every week and and you know be cool uh, but but for now I'm I'm finishing off the IW Harper. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm the, I, I shouldn't have asked you. I, I regret asking. Yeah. Uh, I am uh, rocking our uh, boys at the church split. Um, just having some summer ale, since the summer ale is really good, in my opinion. Oh, so you like I, so yeah, I'm having what's called a boiler maker for those of you who don't know, which is like you know a, a shot of whiskey and a beer. Um, it's one of the, believe it or not, one of the oldest mixed drinks that there is, uh, except that it's not technically mixed, um, because you drink them separately, but it's called the Boilermaker. Uh, and so, yeah, the beer that I am enjoying tonight, this will be different, is called, uh, Guayabera by, uh, Cigar City. And it is a Citra Pale Ale. So it's like a tropical citrusy pale ale. I'm not even going to attempt to uh, pronounce that. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my dad's favorites, actually. Summer, yeah, well, he's, yeah. Y'all are Cuban, so of course you, like, try to pick the most Spanish-sounding possible thing out there, and you're like, that's a new favorite thing now. I, I'm guilty of the same thing. I go, I look at the beer section, I'm like, all right, what is the most Irish? <laughs> and then it, I, like, I'm like, oh, Every this time. is the best, because it's the most Irish. <laughs> Um, all right, so tonight's topic, rabbinic authority or Talmudic authority or however you want to, um, and we actually have to say Talmudic authority really because there are people in the Talmud who aren't rabbis. Right. Yeah, I mean, like authoritative people who were never called rabbi. A great example of this is actually Hillel and Shammai. Both are never called rabbi. Not one. <laughs> 
Yo, William Turner, I'm using that though. I'm not gonna post it, uh, but I'm I'm using that. <laughs> if I flashed it up there for a second, I didn't. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, and uh, for like the biblical dark humor stuff, do you want to give him that example, uh, the uh, the baby example? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, what's the hold on? What's the citation? First Kings, I uh, nine something I think. Hey, hang on. It's anyway. It's 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 it's. You know what the, you're talking about. You're right. It's the exact citation where King Solomon uh, suggests that the two women fighting over one child uh, divided in half, <laughs> and it'll say like the halfling or like halvesies. Yeah, a, a baby onesie that says halvesies. Like. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> yes. Yeah. You know. What I mean? Yeah. And, and that citation. <laughs> definitely doing that onesies onesies all right so um back back to the topic <laughs> right talmudic authority um and this is uh, a this is a heated topic just between judaism and christianity al alone right between those two religions this is a heated subject of debate um but this is especially heated uh in the torah observant uh movement that has sprung out of Christianity, all right? Those who follow Yeshua uh, and also do their best to observe as much as they can understand of the Torah. And so this is this is kind of a big dividing point, uh, especially with uh, the Hebrew Roots movement, especially. Um, this is kind of one of the things that, that defines the Hebrew, Hebrew Roots movement. Mm. Um, and even a is, lot of messianic movements is their disdain for Talmudic authority. Yeah. Um, so let's, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to talk about that because there, there is a certain precedence that is laid out in the new Testament. So first of all, real quick, I, I think we've done this a hundred times, but we'll just clear the air again. Once again, real quick for anyone just joining us or not familiar. Uh, a lot of people, uh, are under the impression that the Talmud is uh, nothing but a bunch of man-made traditions um, or that the Talmud is the oral law. And in a sense, that that's kind of true, that, that it's the oral law. It contains the oral law, but it is not itself. The Talmud is not itself an oral law or the oral uh, Torah. It is a collection of essentially conversations from the courtroom. Um, uh, I've, I've said this time and time again. To say the phrase, the Talmud teaches, is a bit like saying the library teaches, which right. it does not. <laughs> the, a library doesn't teach anything. Um, a library is a collection of books with many different teachings in them. Uh, the Talmud is exactly the same. There's uh, hundreds of uh, different conversations all happening, uh, debates, uh, challenges to certain rules that are being uh, in the that are in the making. Um, and then sometimes the, there's no there's no final conclusion. Sometimes it's just two rabbis uh, have have their two opinions and they disagree and they go their separate way kind of thing. Um, but uh, the Mishnah, it would be more proper to say that the Mishnah is the oral Torah, and the Talmud is sort of the debates surrounding the Mishnah and Scripture. Right. Um, so. Yes. Yeah. The yeah the 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 Talmud. The, is is more so the case law part of it that that that's where you get the the dispute uh 
between rabbis on on or and in, in in many cases not not even rabbis right uh we we just mentioned that that not not everybody in the talmud is a rabbi um but uh but yeah that, that's where the dispute between uh, opinions and interpretations will take place um that's where you're going to read it is anytime that somebody pulls one cherry picked um i guess i guess you could say verse uh, out of the Talmud and says, well, the Talmud says this as though that's like a hard, fast teaching from the Talmud. Oftentimes, if you just read one verse beyond that one, uh, you'll find where it's like immediately contradicted by another teacher. <laughs> yeah. Um, in fact, uh, every night on on um, Shabbat, if you go to a Shabbat prayer service, there's a portion just after you welcome in the Sabbath after Kabbalat Shabbat. Um, you actually read a tractate of the Mishnah, like a chapter from tractate Shabbat from the Mishnah. And in straight up in one of the paragraphs, it's like, it's like a really weird ruling, but it's like, uh, one rabbi says, uh, you can't fill an eggshell with oil and hang it in such a way that it slowly drips oil into a, a into a, uh, lamp. Um, like you can't do that. Basically a perpetual, like it refills automatically. And, uh, so it's like. This rabbi says you can't do it. And then literally in that same verse, it says, but Rabbi Yehuda permits this. And so, and so it's like right there in the, in the one sentence, it's not even separated by a number or a verse or nothing. It's like, you can't do this, says this rabbi, but this rabbi said, that's fine. Like, right. <laughs> so, um, it, it's very much like some things are just opinions and it depends on what side of the aisle you're going to fall on. Um, and who, whose teachings you follow, and that will determine how you practice, more or less. Mm -hmm. um, so, that out. Oh, and uh, the last thing. So, you know, a lot of they say that like, some of these are traditions of man, right? Um, now, traditionally, it's accepted that the Mishnah was also handed down at Mount Sinai. <clears throat> we'll be um, reading some of that. Yeah, we will be. Now, some things exist in the oral tradition that may not have been handed down from Sinai. And uh, a lot of people like to point this out to say, well, you know, it, it, you know, a lot of it's just made up, man-made, it came much later. Um, and, 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 they'll, and they'll often hear phrases like, and the Jews re refuse to accept this kind of thing. Uh, no. <laughs> um, and right before we read Pirkei Avot, there, there's actually a little story in this uh, Menachot 29b, this is from the Babylonian Talmud. Um, here's a summary of the story. Moses is, uh, you know, receiving the Torah and he is actually, he asks God, why do you decorate the Torah with the little crowns on the top? Um, and God's like, well, one, one day, uh, you know, a rabbi is going to extrapolate something from this. And he's like, what? I want to see. And so, uh, Moses travels back in time and he sits in Rabbi Akiva who, who lives during, uh, just, just Forward after Jesus time. time, um, uh, second Jewish revolt. Um, he's actually part of that. But so he's sitting in Rabbi Akiva's uh, academy and he's in the back seat. So he's like all the way in the back um, and he's listening to Rabbi Akiva teach and he's like, okay, not following. Uh, and uh, eventually his students like challenge him and they're like, well, where did you hear this? And Rabbi Akiva says, I heard it from Moses. This was handed down by Moses as a halakha from Mount Sinai. And Moses is in the back like, I, I didn't say any of that. <laughs> Um, and, uh, so he like tra travels back into the future, uh, or back, back into the past. And, and he was like, that was, you know, he, he was actually amazed by it. He was like comforting the teaching actually comforted him, but 
they understand that there is actually like the, the halachic authority is a breathing, is a living, breathing thing. They understand this. They know that some of these things are a minhag, which is the word for tradition. They, they understand this. So you can't just say they've blindly accepted this thing uh, and they treat it as above the word of God. They do not. Um, and, and they're very much aware of the internal struggle that exists between uh, the halachic traditions and the scriptures themselves. So, um, yeah. anyway, let's jump to Pirkei Avos. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, and, and right before we get into that, actually, a few things before we get into Pirkei Avos uh, is, is this. I, I find it interesting that in this example, Moshe travels to the future to Rabbi Akiva, where what we're about to read about in Pirkei Avot um, ends the actual end of the line of actual smicha. So the 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 example the example that Moshe was shown was the last absolute line of succession of his own smicha. Interesting. Go on. That's right. <laughs> Um, but so, yeah, before we get into Pirkei Avot, there's, there, there, there's one thing that I want to read first as an introduction. Do it. And this is going to be Matthew 23. Ah, of course. Starting in verse 1. Do right? it. <laughs> and this is the uh, HCSB. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. Now, there, I, I have heard it argued before that it... <laughs> you almost dropped the camera. It, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that it, uh, it says that they seated themselves in the seat of Moses. In other words... They grabbed a position of power that was not theirs to grab, and that's what he's saying. That is, there, that is not even a possible translation. Uh, not of, only is that not possible, but it defeats the next line. Therefore, right. whatever they say, do. Um, if Yeshua had a problem with them usurping that seat, then he would have said something. But right. the following verse automatically makes that not the case. And, and, and one other thing to point out, and we'll get into this in, in, in a minute, actually is is the whatever whatever they say that do and obey so there's another argument that I, I i gather you have quite a bit of information to unravel on this um there's the argument that well yeah it was the seat of moses right you you it, which was an actual seat in a synagogue back in the first century where they could only read the written torah well it if that were the case then Yeshua wouldn't have said whatever they say that do and obey. It would be whatever he says that do and obey. Right? We're we're gonna get into I'm gonna name drop. We're gonna get into Nehemia Gordon's thing in a minute. Uh, right. We'll, we'll do that after Pierre K. Avis. So, <laughs> so we're gonna the, talk about that. The seat of Moses, right? We'll we'll address that objection. But very quickly to explain what the seat of Moses is. The seat of Moses is exactly that, it's the position of authority. It's not an actual seat, right? It is, it, it, it is the seat of authority that you sit in. It is, that's why it's called the seat of Moses, right? It's, it's the role that he was positioned in. It's the authority that he held. And this is where Pirkei Avot picks up. We're going to start in Pirkei Avot 1.1. 1, 1. 
Moses received the Torah at Sinai and transmitted it to Joshua, Joshua to the elders and the elders to the prophets and the prophets to the men of the great assembly. Seamus, tell us who the men of the great assembly are. That would be the Sanhedrin. Right, but particularly what time period is he talking about? For the men of the great assembly? Yeah. Uh, that's, I mean, that's immediately after the judges period. Right. Well, during and after. <laughs> so what follows here is directly from the men of the great assembly, right? They're directly from the Sanhedrin. They said three things. Be patient in administration of justice, raise many disciples, and make a fence around the Torah. Shimon the righteous was one of the last of the men of the great assembly. He used to say, the world stands upon three things, the Torah, the temple service, and the practice of acts of piety. Charity. Yep. Uh, Translations say charity. That's why I say that. Antigonus, a man of Socho, received the oral tradition from Shimon the Righteous. He used to say, do not be like the servants who serve the master in the expectation of receiving a, a reward. But be like the servants who serve the master without the expectation of receiving a reward, and let the fear of heaven be upon you. Yose ben Yozer, a man of Zerada, uh, Zereda, and Yose ben Yochanan, a man of Jerusalem, received the oral tradition from them, i.e. Shimon the Righteous and Antigonus. And it says, uh, ben Yozer used to say, let thy house be a house of meeting for the sages and sit in the very dust of their feet and drink in their words with thirst. And then Ben Yochanan used to say, let thy house be wide open. Let the poor be members of thy household. Engage not in too much conversation with women. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they said They said this with regard to one's uh, own wife how much more does the rule apply with regard to another man's wife yeah it's mostly about not you know spending too much time alone with uh, somebody else's woman right yeah and uh joshua ben parachia and natai the arbalite received the oral tradition from them and later it says Judah ben Tabai and Shimon ben Shetach received the oral tradition from them. It goes on to say, uh, Shemaiah and Abtalion, that's that's Shemaiah, not Shemai. <laughs> not, not the Shemai. <laughs> Shemaiah and Abtalion received the oral tradition from them. And it's got a few sayings from them. Then we get all the way to Hillel and Shemai received the oral tradition from them. Hillel used to say, be of the disciples of Aaron, loving peace and pursuing peace, loving mankind and drawing them close to the Torah. So that we we know that most of you know who Shammai and Hillel were, right? So we, we, we picked this exact, this exact bunch to read, okay? So we have a direct line from at least Moses to Hillel and Shammai right? That is recorded. Now, that line actually goes on beyond the lifetime of Jesus. Um, what the, the, the particular teacher that Seamus just mentioned, Rabbi Akiva, right? He's a second century rabbi. He would have actually been a contemporary 
of the apostles um because he's he's very early second century rabbi uh and he is his students were the last ones to receive the oral tradition and smicha within that 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 dates back directly to Moses and they all died so we know exactly when the line of smicha was broken mm-hmm. um so we we do know the writings and teachings and teachers that did have actual ordination that dates back all the way to Moses right it did live beyond the lifetime of Jesus and that's what we're here to discuss right so when we go back to Matthew 23 um in fact let me pull this up so the seed of Moses because you you just taught you just you just read from Pirkei Avos uh sound like an Ashki Pirkei Avot <laughs> um <laughs> and um it's not my fault guys okay <laughs> so uh the term the reason it's called the seed of Moses all right so this Nehemiah Gordon has this whole thing where he talks about the seat of Moses is a particular chair literal seat in a synagogue that was uh I think the synagogue is from uh Chorazin uh and this is simply not true it's completely fabricated um this is not to say that you know, the head rabbi at whatever synagogue sits in a literal seat of Moses and he reads from the Torah scroll. And so you only have to do whatever the Torah scroll says and not anything else. Um, that's Rabbi Nehemiah Gordon's um, assertion there. And he bases this off of the Shem Tov Matthew. Uh, and he is, is being a very intellectually dishonest with the Shem Tov rendering. Um, there are nine existing copies of the Shem Tov Hebrew Matthew. And... Um, Six of, six of them read the way all of our Greek manuscripts read, uh, which is they seat in the seat of, uh, uh, seat of Moses. Therefore, whatever they say, that is the Pharisees uh, and the scribes do, right? Uh, and in his version, he, he reads from one of the few documents that have a, a, a different rendering, and it says, therefore, whatever he says, that's Moses. Um, we have no Greek manuscript that attests to that. And only the Shem Tov Matthew, and even not all of them, only a couple of them, read that way. And then the last bit of information that he's not being totally honest with you about when he's talking about this is that the Shem Tov Matthew was specifically written to be an anti-missionary um, Matthew. So it's it's very specifically um, like trying to disprove Yeshua as a, mess- a messianic figure uh, at all. So with those biases in mind, um, obviously there's some issues with just from, you know, t- treating that as an authoritative text anyway. But, uh, so it, it, all that to say, Nehemiah makes this entire presentation and he's being very, very intellectually dishonest, um, about the whole thing. Anyway, um, the seat of Moses is an idiom. It means the Sanhedrin and it comes from Exodus 18, where every time it says uh, Moses would sit to judge the people, this was common. Uh, Pharisees, even in Yeshua's day, would do this. They would sit down before teaching. Nowadays, we're used to like seeing the pastor get up and stand right behind a podium, and then you know, oh, lesson time. Uh, well, back then it was they would sit down. Like when the rabbi would sit down, you know, oh, lesson time. Like it's uh, it's a uh, they would teach from the seated position. Um. But anyway, yes, a seat also uh, means, you know, like judgment, like a, like a, like a judgment seat, um, uh, a position of authority. And 
And actually, we have, here's what's cool. We have both Jewish and Christian literature that attest that the phrase, the seat of Moses, applies to the men of the Great Assembly, which is the Sanhedrin, before it was called the Sanhedrin, because the Sanhedrin is a Greek word. Uh, so it gets called that later during the Hasmonean period. Um, but it was it always existed. It just had different names. But uh, there's actually an epistle from Peter to James. Um, in fact, let me pull it out here. Uh, there's an epistle from Peter to James uh, from the first chapter. It's only one chapter. It's very short. It says, Moses delivered the tradition to the 70 elders who succeeded his seat. And so Moses' seat is the Sanhedrin. So it's very, very clear reference. Um, anyway. So what is what is Yeshua saying here? What does Jesus say? The scribes and Pharisees sit in the seat of Moses. That means they have that position of authority that was granted to them. They belong there. Therefore, whatever they say, do. Just don't do what they do by creating all these heavy extra laws and loads that they themselves are not willing to do. And that's just the hypocrisy aspect of it. But he's, he definitely uh, endorses the fact that they have the authority to make halachic rulings. And so you should submit yourself to that authority. And uh, Brad, you look like you're concentrating on something, man. What's up? <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm reading. I'm reading a particular question in the comments about, um, and you'll you'll be familiar with this one because it's a very popular one that gets brought up uh, in the anti-Talmud uh, sects in uh, Sanhedrin 54b. Mm. There's a lot of stuff in Sanhedrin. <laughs> yeah, in like the 50s too, like between 53 and 59. There's a lot going on there. Um, but, uh, it looks like we can address that a little later. Yeah. Mm. I mean, we, we're about 30 minutes in and we still got a little bit more to cover. So, um, we'll try to, we'll try to wrap this up in a neat little bow and then get to some questions. Um, okay. So that's what Yeshua says about rabbinic authority. Another thing we, we've said time and time again, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, that uh, Yeshua very much, you know, there, there are there are times in which he does um, challenge a particular tradition. And, and a lot of times he actually doesn't say that the tradition is bad. He just puts it in its right place. Sometimes it, like the hand washing thing, he never says, okay, stop washing your hands. He's just saying, well, hold on. Your, your priorities are in the other direction here. Uh, but at no point does he say the hand washing ritual is a bad thing and you should stop doing it. Um, and so... Right. I think that that gets uh, misunderstood a lot, too. The, the general understanding that people derive from that is, is the, the, you know, the, the view that you'll be familiar with is, is like, well, okay, that's, that's so, so the traditions are not bad. They're just not a priority. Um, you know, so you can do them if you want, but it's, it's not obligatory. And it's like, well, that's not even the point of what Yeshua is pointing out. He, he in no way makes a case that it's not obligatory or that it's not priority. The case that he's making to those particular Pharisees is that it is not top priority. Yeah. Right. It, he's not arguing that it's not a priority at all. He's just arguing that it's not the utmost prioritized. I think it's later in the same chapter where he says, uh, you know, woe unto you. It's the seven woes, right? Uh, tithing the dill, the mint and the cumin. These you ought to have done and not left, not the, left other. the others undone. 
Yeah. So the, 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 and you'll see that when you read through the rest of Matthew 23 and you read it in its context as, as a, as one from one rabbi to another, he's not saying to throw these traditions away because they're traditions. Uh, he's, he's saying that, listen, like do these continue to do them. They're fine. Um, but once they start getting in the way of things, or you've created a, a backwards priority because of them, you need to set that aside. And it, w- what's interesting is, uh, I, I, I usually sit in a, a Dafyomi with the rabbi here, and, uh, there are oftentimes we're, we're reading from the, the Talmud and he will stop to say in, 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 in cases like this, we take the lenient approach because this is a rabbinic mandate. Uh, and, and since it's a rabbinic mandate and not a Mishnaic mandate, we can we can waive the rabbinic mandate and be more lenient in cases like this. And, and basically, he's like, it, it's it's an idea of priority. He's like, you know, listen, we, we understand that this is a halakhic ruling from the rabbinate, um, and so its authority is a little less than the authority that it, it derives from. And so, yeah, <laughs> it, again, the, the Jewish people are very much aware of the nuance of the whole thing. They're not they're not just making it up as they go. And uh, they're certainly not just denying that uh, some of this is uh, comes comes later. They know this. Um, oh, and uh, one thing to clear up real quick too: uh, the scribes and Pharisees, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees are buddy buddies. Um, they hung out together. They were basically the same sect, more or less. Uh, the, the Pharisees really liked the scribes because they could always rely on them to have a lot of scripture memorized, uh, which is really helpful to them. And uh, but they would become the rabbinate. Um, and that's where I brought up that before, like Hillel and Shammai weren't called rabbis. Um, that doesn't mean they weren't, they just were never called rabbis. Uh, but that sect, the Pharisee sect becomes the rabbinate. Um, and as Smicha gets lost, uh, that they, they stick with the whole rabbinate, uh, thing. Cause rabbi just meant teacher. Right. So, right. Yeah. The, uh, it's, it, it, the, current rabbinic judaism is a modern outgrowth from what the pharisees were uh more or less and which is interesting right because it's it's as much as as yeshua uh disputed with some of the pharisees on occasion when he had occasion to um he chastised the sadducees even harsher and then, and then also dismissed them, uh, and the modern representative that we have as an outgrowth from what what could be uh, what could have been considered the Sadducee movement um, is Karite Judaism, which is ironic because Karite Judaism is the one that everybody who hates Talmudic authority runs to to figure out how to argue against it. Excuse me. The Karaites are modern-day Sadducees, by the way. Yeah, Not sort sure of. The, the 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 I think the Karaites actually do accept the prophets, which is which is a difference. I think so, uh, but they they outright reject any oral traditions in any way, even uh, though they utilize them. I mean, you have to. You can't. You can't have any. I'm gonna do a rant, <laughs> but I don't have the I don't have the thing ready. I don't I don't have my rant thing. You cannot have a Bible translation period, without the oral traditions, or at least in the Torah. The nikudot, the, the little dots and, and dashes, symbols that help you to determine what word you're supposed to say for this particular jumble of letters, is entirely dependent on everything written in Talmud and Mishnaic literature. 
you need the oral traditions to even create uh, a coherent translation. So if you have an English translation of a Bible in, in uh, I see what you're doing. Uh, oh, what'd you do? Why'd you change that? I did not mean to change that. Why would you do that? Um, but if you have a, an English uh, translation in your hands, you have, you have uh, the oral tradition to thank for that. Yep. Um, whether you want to admit it or not, and whether you are, want to recognize that or not, you, you don't have to like it. Uh, facts don't care about your feelings. <laughs> I'm going to take a line from Ben, <laughs> my favorite angry Jew. <laughs> um but uh okay so that's 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 yeshua's standpoint now uh, and uh, another thing that okay that we've said is that you know like if Yeshua were walking around today he would very likely look like an orthodox rabbinic jew um because he very much did keep uh within what was expected of him as uh a, a rabbi of his time um, with with very little exception, and the exceptions are the only ones that we hear about, um, and they're they're recorded in the Gospels. So, uh, and this again is one of those things where any any rabbi out there, you're going to find exceptions, uh, and and that's because there's all sorts of opinions and details and stuff that exist within the mission of the Talmud in and of themselves. So, okay. Uh, but yeah, the scribes and the Pharisees, they become the rabbinate. So when we, we use them interchangeably because they are the same, they just, that name sort of just like the sect of the way becomes Christianity. They're technically the same thing. They just kind of shift names as they, as the time moves forward. Yep. All right. So now the meat and potatoes of tonight's episode. <laughs> what did Paul say about rabbinic authority? Oh boy. Well, this is going to burn a lot of people, right? And it, we hear this from we hear this from both the left wing and the right wing every election cycle, right? <laughs> no matter no matter who comes out on top, uh, the, the you you get you get Christians from both sides of the political spectrum that will cite this passage, and that is going to be the words of Paul in Romans 13, where he expresses that you should submit to the authorities which are over you, right? Um, and he, he speaks a bit about how God has appointed these authorities, right? Um, and this is always applied to government. The problem is, Paul's not talking about the state government. <laughs> no. In fact, uh, so I, I have uh, Tim Hegg's Romans commentary up here, and uh, and he's actually pulling a lot of stuff from Mark D. Nanos's commentary and a few other sources as well. But uh, yeah, one thing that we, you can easily point out, you open up any Bible, uh, many of them will have um, the Christian obligation to the state as the heading for chapter 13 in Romans. Um, now there's, there's a couple of things going on here there's, uh, that that's wrong with that, uh, in its context, it makes zero sense. Uh, and it's, it's primarily because the whole time from chapter 12 and then through the end of chapter 13, he's, he's talking about, uh, the relationship that exists between fellow believers and fellow brothers who might not be believers, like fellow Jews who have not yet come to Yeshua. 
Um, and he's talking about this relationship that exists in the synagogue. And then if we accept the Christian interpretation, for a brief moment, he says, oh, and by the way, subject yourself to the Roman government. And then he goes r immediately right back to talking about the civil uh, relationship between within the synagogue. It's very right. weird, very abrupt, doesn't make sense, but that's the way Christians have been reading this text for a long time. Um, and so this is from uh, Mark D. Nanos's, um Mystery of Romans. Uh, and beginning quote, It is my contention that Paul's instruction in Romans 13, 1 through 7, are not concerned with the state, empire, or any other such organization of secular government. His concern was rather to address the obligations of Christians, particularly Christian Gentiles, associating in the synagogues of Rome for the practice of their new faith to subordinate themselves to the leaders of the synagogue and to the customary rules of behavior that have been developed in the diaspora synagogues for defining the appropriate behavior of righteous Gentiles seeking to associate with Jews and their God and their Messiah. End quote. I mean, that, that's that's good stuff. And we're going to talk, because if we go and we just read, right, uh, Romans 13, do you have that open in the Bible? Do you, you have that ready to go? Ooh, I do not. I thought I just you don't would. feel like opening, because I got like three books I open. I can. Oh. Give, me, give me uno momento. Uh, as you do, I'm going to read the next uh, bit of quote here. Because um, what we're going to do is we're going to read Romans 13. Uh, and there are bits and pieces that we have to address that, that are going to raise some questions. So... Um, but, um, excuse me, uh, after reminding us, <clears throat> this is again from Tim Hegg's commentary, that the believing Gentiles were to view their unbelieving Jewish neighbors as brothers and not as the enemy, Mark Nanos goes on to write concerning the leaders of the synagogue to whom the believing Gentiles were to submit themselves. Quote, however, their leaders are to be obeyed for their authority is from God and is recognized even by the Roman Empire for the execution of their responsibility to oversee the behavior of the Jewish communities to which Christian Gentiles are now attached through synagogue attendance and when meeting in their homes under the authority granted the, uh, to the synagogues. It's recognized by Roman authority, the synagogues are, so that, that's actually another part of this whole thing. Um, and that's an uh, end quote there. So. You, all right, so you got it. You want to just read yeah. verses one and stop at verse seven. Okay. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. For government, uh, yeah, yeah. For government is God's servant uh, for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid because it does not carry uh, the sword for no reason. For government is God's servant and avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit not only because of the wrath, uh, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes. Since the authorities are God's public servants continually attending to these tasks, pay your obligation to everyone. Taxes to those who, uh, you owe taxes, tolls to those 
you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. So the taxes bit is the bit that we're going to get into because that's the part where most people think, okay, we have to be talking about the Roman state. Right. Uh, not true. If you were in the Jewish community, you were exempt from the Roman state taxes because of their association with paganry. And Rome uh, respected the Jewish uh, anti-pagan practices. And so they, right. they exempted the, them from that. The okay. Fiscus Judaicus did not come about until after 70 AD. Right. Uh, and that's because of the rebellion and everything. So uh, Rome is a little butthurt after that. But um, so, but Paul did talk about um, the uh, their authority coming from God. And so I want to look at Deuteronomy 17, starting at verse 10. You are to act according to the sentence they tell you from that place that Hashem chooses and take care to do all that they instruct you. This is the they here is the Sanhedrin. And the place that Hashem chooses would be the Temple Mount, where the Sanhedrin would meet in the halls of hewn stone. You are to act according to the instruction they teach you, and to the judgment they tell you, you must not turn aside from the sentence they tell you, to the right or to the left, the man who acts presumptuously by not listening to them, who stands to serve uh, before Hashem your God, or to the judge, um, or to the judge, that man shall die. You are to purge the evil from Israel. Uh, so it's actually a death sentence to uh, to go against um, the uh, to, and now strictly speaking it's a death sentence. I, I don't th very very few people, if any, uh, I'm not aware of any that I, that I've read about that have been sentenced to death for simply not listening to the Sanhedrin. Um, a lot of uh, sometimes the rabbinate will interpret a, uh, that a death to be a cut off. Like all right, if you're just going to be a non law abiding uh, citizen dope uh you're not in the community anymore and that counts as a death <laughs> um so it just depends uh there's there's a lot of uh there's a lot of uh nuance to all that whole thing but um and uh, i got a couple of things here so if the proposed interpretation is allowed to stand then the submission to the synagogue officials even those who had not yet confessed yeshua as the messiah is proper conduct for the sect of the way, according to Paul. The halachic uh, rulings of the early synagogue was considered by the apostles and by Paul as essential and essentially normative rather than superfluous or even contrary to the faith with Yeshua. Th this was supposed to be in sync. We're talking about a time before Christianity was a separate religion materially. It wasn't yet. It was still a sect within Judaism. And Paul lived and died having never imagined that there would be a future where the sect that he helped to foster would become its own completely separate and distinct religion. He never he never would have envisioned that. Matter of fact, so two things here. Um, and one of them, I guess, we can put off until the end when we start to answer questions. Uh, because <laughs> it's, it's interesting that this subject actually has come up this week. Uh, and you and I were even tagged in a video uh, about this that Inspiring Philosophy did. And I still plan on making a TikTok response because um, there was a lot that was not necessarily incorrect, uh, but mispremised and uh, half-truth. But 
any anytime that anybody asks you to give a citation, uh, I know there, there's a few others on TikTok that we engage that are constantly asking for a citation where new Gentile believers are being instructed to carry on and continue in Torah. This is it. This is it. This is it right here. They are being instructed to be in compliance with the Sanhedrin. Uh, not only did Yeshua explicitly state that, Paul is explicitly stating that. And again, Paul, I mean, these they're there's not two separate religions. They're meeting in one synagogue. And uh, and so, <clears throat> um, in fact, uh, one more bit here. Paul is teaching here that the established authorities within the Jewish community are to be received as appointed by God and therefore worthy of respect and of an attitude uh, of submission. Um, and he's got one more uh, thing here that I really, really liked um, that he said, basically, and I, I, I very much actually very much agree with this because uh, in your and my experience, the experience between the two of us, this is exactly what should be happening, what's described here. The overarching message of the apostle, that is Paul, is that those who in the name of Yeshua, uh, is sorry, those who the name of Yeshua, I think that's a typo, those who are in the name of Yeshua should be characterized as submissive to authority, not rebellious in spirit. Your, all right, Yeshua said it once, your righteousness should exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. So that should be your testimony, your your willingness to be a part of the community and, and be even more strict in your observance than they already are is the kind of, that should be your testimony for him as his representative here to, sh to, to show how far you're willing to go in the name of love and unity um, and, and be part of the community. You're not going to win over somebody by being a rebellious and breaking away. Again, there's a time and a place for this kind of thing. Yeshua challenged every once in a while in the appropriate context. We're not saying you can't question authority. Absolutely, you're, it's encouraged to do so in Judaism. Um, but there are some things that you're not going to agree with that you are being encouraged here to accept anyway. Um, and, and, and sometimes, you know, you just have to bite the bullet sometimes. And until Mashiach comes and clears everything up, you know, uh, there's a lot of self-discipline and, and self-sacrifice you have to make for the sake of the community. Yep. Um, so I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Uh, no, no. I mean, if we're going to, if we're going to get right over into answering some questions after that. Oh, the taxes. Uh, that's right. Oh, right. Last thing. Uh, this is, this is historic. Okay. So the, the Romans exempted Jews from their taxes. Okay. So what are the, what, what could Paul talk possibly be talking about here with the taxes here? There was a tax that was imposed on the Jewish people that was in dispute as to whether or not the Jews should be paying this tax. That's the temple tax. The Jews in the diaspora thought of uh, essentially were disputing on whether or not that this was a legitimate tax that they should be paying because they live nowhere near the temple. They don't benefit from the service of the temple in any way, shape, or form. They don't utilize its needs at all being that far away in Rome. The temple tax is to help so that the Levites can attend to your service on your behalf and, and perform things like you know the Passover offering. Uh, it's because the temple tax is also, if I'm not mistaken, in Torah, that's one of those that's part of the, you know, in the land. Yes. 
And so there was like a halakhic question as to whether or not anyone outside the land should even bother paying the tax. And Paul talks about here, this tax, this, this has to be the temple tax. It's the, it's the thing that makes the most contextual sense historically. Um, and again, it, this is a letter to a community. So there's a lot of presuppositions built into this letter. Um, and, and, and so, um, there are two authorities here, actually, this is Jacob Neusner, Tim Hegg, of course, Mark Nanos, of course, um, uh, are of the opinion that this is the temple tax and he's encouraging them to pay the temple tax. And then he tells them towards the end of the letter, I believe, uh, I, I'm going to come and I'm going to collect the temple tax and I'm going to take it back to Jerusalem. Like he, he very explicitly states it later on. So, um, that's the tax. Uh, and again, that's going to be the hang up for a lot of people reading this for the first time. Then that might, might make them think, okay, this is obviously talking about the state, like the Roman state. Uh, not so. It's a completely different. Uh, it's a temple tax. So it's to the Jewish state, really. Uh, which again should show that as members of the community, right, as Gentiles coming into the community and worshiping their God and believing in their Messiah, that you should support them in their state <laughs> and you should be submitted to them as the younger brother and seek their guidance because they have the staff until to whom it belongs come, comes back in our case uh, as the ruling king. They, they have that authority. that authority. That authority was granted to them by God. It was given to them in Deuteronomy 17. It's given to them again, Paul reiterates here in, in Romans 13. End of rant. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so on on this note, though, uh, this is a good question. Is this why the Catholic Church changed the Sabbath to Sunday because they have the authority? So this is one where this is one where th this is right there along the lines of the discussion going on uh, with uh, with Mike from Inspiring Philosophy, right? <laughs> and the answer that he would give you would be true in part, um, but but also uh, a bit of a half-truth here. The Catholic Church did not change the Sabbath to Sunday, at least not, not in terms as, as scholars understand it, right? I understand that when you say Catholic Church, right, you are including the patristic fathers uh, because anybody who does church history honestly understands that what, Cath what Catholicism came out of was what the patristic fathers built, right? Uh, it's really only... Um, Protestants that make a hard distinction between the Patristic Fathers and the Catholic Church, they need for that distinction to exist in order for Protestantism to be validated, right? Um, because if if you know if the people that they esteem as having been disciples of the disciples, right? Uh, granted, this is alleged, uh, but it is alleged that uh, Ignatius and Polycarp, right, were disciples of the disciples. Um, and it's possible. I mean, disciples it, are disagreeing and arguing with people that raised them up is not unheard of, especially in the sure. Gentile world. Sure. Um, especially, you know, if they were disciples of John, who was by far the youngest of the disciples. Um, you know, sure, it's it's possible, but there is no hard evidence of this. This is it's a claim that's made by only a, I don't even think a handful of people. I think it's really only made by one person. Um, it's a, well, it, it was basically the uh, the the the, <clears throat> the lineage was never was never really recorded until much later, uh, where I think like Origen basically says uh, he's passing down a tradition he received. 
So and he's like, this is what I was told. And so he writes it down. As so in other words, Christianity, I'm addressing you right now. <laughs> if you disagree with the with the idea that Rabbi Akiva had an ordination that dates all the way back to Moses based on the tradition that the Jews have laid out, you have absolutely no grounds to make any claim that Polycarp or Ignatius were disciples of the disciples, right? It or is that easier to build a case <laughs> that, that Judaism had that line of succession than it is to build a case that Christianity had that. Anyway... Right. I understand when you say Catholic, the Catholic Church, you are including the Patristic Fathers. Um, on a scholarly level, this will be contested. Uh, and it, it will also be contested that the, even the Patristic Fathers changed the Sabbath to Sunday. Um, I, I, I don't put much, much stock in the contestation of that because what we see the precedents for in the New Testament even clearly in this passage, right, where Gentiles are being commanded to fall in line with the Sanhedrin, which would have made them Sabbath observant. Um, that for for only, uh, I mean, Ignatius is what? Uh, technically only like, what, 60 years later? More uh, or less? So, uh, 60, 70 like years later? Yeah. Uh, so for in 70 years, there to have been an already clear-cut precedence of observing Sunday, uh, I, I, that's just highly illogical and improbable. Um, so more than likely the patristic fathers are the ones who set a new precedence. And in fact, the way that their writings spell out when Ignatius, uh, in his letter to the Ephesians, right. Or not the, the uh, the Magnesians, uh, writes out, uh, the observance of the Lord's day in opposition to the Sabbath. His writing is not as though he is defending an already set precedence. His writing is as though he's actually trying to set a new precedence by leading away from what was already the set precedence. Um, so likely the, the shift from Sabbath to Sunday worship began in the time of Ignatius it, it himself. Post-Second Temple destruction, which is where yes. a lot of the splits start happening, by the way. Um, but before that, it was very much... It was not a monolith, but it was, it was very much still within within Judaism. All right, so last thing I want to read, and then we'll take a couple of questions. So get your questions ready in the chat now. If you guys got questions, now's your chance. Uh, go ahead and ask away, and I'm going to read one last quote on a translation here for verse 7. Um, again, coming from uh, Tim Hicks' commentary here. Uh, he translates this as render to all. This is verse 7 from thirteen, chapter 13 in Romans. Render to all what is due to them. Tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Okay. The tax no doubt refers to the temple tax, as I have noted above. The Gentile believers were to pay the tax, as were the Jewish believers, even those who were not given the status of proselytes, uh, were given to uh, were to give the tax as full-fledged members of the covenant. Covenant. Custom translates the Greek telos. That's a word we know very well, telos, which usually means goal or end, but can also have a meaning of taxes, customs, dues, which is the meaning most English translators have often chosen. However, such a meaning seems redundant with the preceding foron, which is the word for tax. Rather, the word telos here might have the sense of perfect, mature, or in the sense of full obligation or full compliance, like telos normally does. And uh, maybe enjoining upon the readers the need to give full compliance to those who were making halachic rulings in the synagogue. 
Nanos has his own translation. The fulfilling of good results to those concerned with the results of your neighbor's behavior. Uh, though this is awkward, the sense is there. Act maturely towards those who make the rules. Essentially. Uh, so that custom to whom custom is due is uh, with the word telos being there. Um, very, very much has uh, a lot more meaning behind it as far as like the full compliance. So essentially, uh, and we get asked all the time, why why do me and Brad observe Torah in a very, very orthodox manner? Because it, it was expected. Um, you're, you're supposed to blend in and be a member of the community. Um, and uh, so this, this is very much an expected thing. And it's because of the refusal to do that, that it eventually breaks away and becomes its own religion uh, and eventually abandoning almost any, almost any and all of its uh, original, you know, uh, Judaic roots uh, in the process. Okay. Did we get any questions while we were, uh, while I was ranting? <laughs> um. We got, yeah, well, we yeah, we got uh, a couple. So we got... What does patristic mean? <clears throat> uh, um, you can answer that, I'm sure. Right. It's, uh, you know, so uh, what Seamus says every week, right? In nomine patri et fili et spiritus santi. So, so patri, father, it's almost, it almost sounds redundant almost to say patristic fathers, but yeah. it's basically the church fathers, right? The, um, then we call them the church fathers because they are the earliest writings from Christianity, from early Christianity that we that we have post New Testament. Right. So you have the you have the New Testament, you have the writings of the New Testament, and then much later you have the writings of the patristic fathers or the church fathers. And don't confuse them with the apostolic fathers. Right. The apostolic fathers is the apostles. The, well, it's the it's the disciples of the apostles. They're the right. apostolic fathers, and then the patristic fathers are the ones after them. Judaism does the same thing. Uh, it's a very common thing to do in the ancient world is to name each generation uh, something, and so you have like the Rishonim, right, uh, uh, which is like Rashi, Ramban, um, and, and, and like that's a generation of scholars. You have the Geonim, which means geniuses that come before the Rishonim, the Arachanim, I think is how you say that. Right. Um, so there's like generations of scholars uh, get a, a sort of subdivision in which they belong. And it's, uh, yeah. yeah, it's almost like if, if like, hmm, like say maybe, yeah, 2000 years from now, um, men like D. Thomas Lancaster and Boaz Michaels and Tim Hag might be known as the Messianic Fathers. Right. Yeah, um, because they, they yeah. spearheaded the Messianic movement in a big way. Yeah. And then, um, oh, I just had another one, but, oh, the, uh, they weren't called rabbis. We said that in the beginning of the episode, they were called sages. Yes. Uh, so the time before rabbi was used as a p title of, uh, authority officially, they were the sages. And so actually, uh, funny enough, you know, Yeshua is called rabbi very often, uh, which is again, a fairly common thing to do. But if Yeshua had not been deified and turned into the Christian God, uh, he he likely would have been considered one of the sages. Yep. Um, but uh, but because he gets venerated in such a way that it leaves a bad taste in Judaism's mouth, eventually uh, Here, they don't give him that kind of title. But because he lived during the time of the sages, he would have been considered a sage. Here's what happened: <laughs> the opinions 
of the patristic fathers that they wrote about Jesus ultimately resulted in Jesus being left out of the Talmud in any kind of a positive light. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, one here. Um, did Yeshua break Tanakh by eating with sinners? No. Um, and we actually did. Um, this is actually how we know that he was a Pharisee. This is one of the reasons, one of the many. Um, but the fact that they bring this up, uh, Pharisees in their day did not eat with non uh sinners essentially people who had a lowly um job like tax collectors you were considered a sinner pharisees do not eat with tax collectors uh that was like one of the rules uh to be a hever of the pharisee um hever mean friend in, in hebrew uh peer and so they go and they're like he's eating with sinners now if he wasn't recognized as a pharisee they wouldn't have said anything because that would have just been like, well, he's a normal person anyway. That's probably what he normally does. But they would, if they considered him a peer, then it would have been weird for him to go out of his way and eat with people that Pharisees don't eat with. And so the Pharisees walk up and are like, them. Uh, "That's a Pharisee eating with people we don't, we don't, we don't associate with them. What is he doing?" And that's why it's recorded. That's why it stands out. That's why it's weird. And that's an indicator that Yeshua was considered a Pharisee. Yep. But no, it's not a, it's not a violation of Tanakh to do that. Now, since we were discussing Talmudic authority, we want to have uh, oh, hold on. Here's here's I think a, a good one. Off topic, but the early church Christians that Saul was persecuting were they Jews, Gentiles, or both? Uh, they would have been Jews. Yeah, these uh, the the yeah for for instance, we even know Stephen, right? St Stephen was a Jew. Um, which is why he was brought before the Sanhedrin. <laughs> yeah, keep in mind this originally started as a Jewish specific movement. <clears throat> right. It it had not branched out to Gentiles by and large. There were there were some Gentiles, but uh, not not as many until uh, Paul brought it to the diaspora. And uh, it, it probably naturally grew into the diaspora of Gentiles because there were already Gentile God-fearers in and amongst uh, the synagogues. And so there there would have been some Gentiles already coming to the, the faith and being included. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really by, by Paul going out and, and very specifically targeting uh, non-Jewish affiliates uh, as well. That That's where uh, a big... Um, Kind of change happens too but for the most it, it's by and large in its early stages is a very particularly sect of judaism uh with a minority of gentiles about 30 years later now we see an influx of gentiles uh and, and it's like a 50 50 split and that's where we start to see tensions rise in the synagogues because now the the gentiles are starting to number outnumber the jews and that's beginning to be a problem um, and it makes some Jews uncomfortable. So it was, it was, uh, it was starting to create tension when that starts happening. Right. So, uh, what I was going to say is since, since we were discussing Talmudic authority and it was brought up, um, the Sanhedrin 54 B, um, oh, yeah, that question from earlier. Right. Uh, so essentially it's as, as I'm under, so, so yeah, he, he, he says, Uh, asking how people agree with uh, it's 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 it seems like 
the way it reads in English, especially if you're not really familiar with the topical matter at hand, mm-hmm. uh, that it is somehow accepting of uh, homosexual pedophilia, right? Because it it notes, right, if a child who is less than nine years old uh, engages in in that activity passively, in other words, they they, they were not an active contributor. Uh, the one who engages in it with him is not liable. This, if I'm, if and correct me if I'm wrong, because I think you're more familiar with it than me. This is this is not this is not an issue of determining whether or not it's 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 wrong or punishable. It's actually it's it's an attempt to explain how to classify it so that we know how to punish it. In other words, if it's not considered sexual intercourse. Correct. Then you can't punish it as a sexual crime because it's not it even even though it it came about in a sexual manner, it is not it wasn't considered sexual intercourse. So it's not a sexual crime. It, this is just a crime of straight up abuse. And that's that's the point Correct. to making this distinction is that they they're 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 essentially saying there is a particular age limit at which engaging in in intercourse is straight up not intercourse. It is just abuse at this point. And there's there's multiple reasons for this. Though. So first of all, this is a very this is a legal document, and it's doing its best to define on legal terms exactly how to treat particular cases, legally speaking. So is it considered? Uh, it, one of the cases it, it like brings up, for example, is like, um, uh, you know, is is a is a girl still considered a virgin? And this is a little sensitive, so uh, uh, warning to everybody else. Uh, if she's under a certain age, and and something happens, uh, is she still considered a virgin? And the reason for that question is because if she wants to marry a priest, a Cohen, uh, Cohen, and then uh, she has to be a virgin. Now, if she's under a certain age, uh, does that count as losing if she gets sexually assaulted? So it's very it's 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 a very sensitive topic and it uses very emotionless language, but it's legal speak. It is very they are they have removed themselves emotionally from the situation to create uh, very strict legal definitions of what constitutes as intercourse in any particular given scenario with age, and if it happens under that age. And many commentator commentaries on this topic actually go into this in their introduction. They specifically say. This law gets brought up again, but it doesn't count as a, as you were saying, like a sexual crime. It's it's domestic abuse, but we can't classify it as a sexual crime, so we punish it under the law as domestic abuse instead. Pedophilia is still outright wrong, 100% wrong in the Talmud, but a, a lot of people don't understand what's happening in particular sections because it, you have to you have to really know how to read a Talmud. You can't just read a Talmud. There there really is an art form to it. Uh, and there's a lot of things happening all at once, uh, and it usually doesn't warn you when a shift is happening too. It doesn't really warn you when, like the Gemara and the Mishnah and the Baraita and everything is kind of like going back and forth on a, on a particular issue. You have to kind of know it's happening, uh, and this is one of those very sensitive topic issues in which um, it's it, they're very they're just trying to create a a very cut and clear definition of what constitutes as virginity in a in a particular case. So that moving forward, when they use that word, they know exactly what they mean by it. And there's no question. We're not talking, you know, like uh, if, if God forbid, if, if somebody is is sexually abused at a very young age, um, a father might be wondering, well, I, I, I had a prearranged marriage 
for my daughter to marry that Cohen. And she was just abused, which makes her not a virgin. So she can't marry that Cohen. We had an agreement. And, and this is where the law would say, no, that agreement, that agreement is still good. She's still considered, uh, you know, at her age, she's still considered a virgin. So it's fine. Right. So now we punish him on domestic abuse uh, in, instead. It's, it's, it's a very, it's, it's ways of making sure that certain things still happen the way that they were agreed upon. Again, back then, most marriages were arranged. Um, and, and that was just the way that yeah. things were done. Marriage it, was very much an economical decision, not a, uh, the, not a uh, romantic one. <laughs> yeah, the Talmud is is not saying that the that the 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 crook in in this example is not guilty of of uh, any crime. The what what is being determined is what crime are they guilty of? Yeah, is it get it? It's a foregone conclusion that they're guilty, but what is the crime? Yeah, right. So how do we classify that, and how we classify it ultimately determines how we punish it. And how, how do we classify the victim in this case too? Right. Because um, once again, the way you classify the victim has has major impacts and implications on other laws. And so if you say she was sexually abused, well, then that impacts other laws that say if a woman was sexually abused, there's certain things that she can and cannot do. And so they had to make a decision. Well, we're not going to consider it this in this case because... If we do, it ruins a bunch of other stuff for her later down the line. But if we say that it's not considered sexual abuse, even though it is, um, but if we say legally it's not, then her life goes on as normal. She's still a virgin. She still gets to marry a Cohen. All these other laws go completely unimpacted. So they, they're they're balancing decision making here to make sure that as little impact happens for the victim as possible. And sometimes they have to make a decision one way or another. That sounds really weird to us, but that's the way that Torah law is kind of kind of funny. That this is actually a really good introduction for what's going to be going on next week, which we probably need to discuss uh, here. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we will be talking about sub a subject uh, that this topic would actually have been encompassed in um, next week. Yes, uh, Ben. For those of you who don't know, the alternate kids fella, his name is Ben. <laughs> Uh, uh, we right, just, yeah, Ben. <laughs> we decided we decided that last week. Um, but uh, next week's episode will not be on YouTube. Okay, next week's episode will be a Discord live function. Uh, so we will not have a YouTube live. It's going to be specifically on Discord, and the reason is there is no point for us to try and air this on YouTube. It's probably going to get taken down immediately. Yeah. Um. It, 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 definitely demonetized this is something that because of the nature of the subject matter uh will inherently end up violating certain guidelines um and the subject the the title of next week's is going is called behind closed doors right so we we will be discussing um top the the topic of uh marital relations yeah uh, so we are, um, <clears throat> so yeah, next week, if you're not already in the discord link is a link is below, join the discord. It's open to anybody. This is not a Patreon exclusive event, um, but it is not going to be on YouTube. Um, so if you haven't already join the discord, if you haven't already like, and subscribe, uh, bless the like, uh, and, uh, I'm not going to say the whole thing right now. If you want to support the channel. Uh, we're about to go after this. We have an after Pardes, uh, parties, Pardes, uh, where uh, you can kind of 
chill out with us in the discord it's exclusive to patreon members only the membership starts at a dollar a month and you get uh early access and you get a lot of exclusive access to a lot of exclusive content that's uh that we have on the patreon page um, brad just got done doing an excellent uh uh video review of a debate uh it's fantastic uh and it's a patreon exclusive so check that out <laughs> um we got a bunch of stuff going on uh so if you want to support the channel link uh is right there on the patreon we really appreciate every single dollar and uh we can't wait to get this website up and running uh those classes are going to be awesome and uh so yeah we're going to go into the after party after part is <laughs> yep. you can ask us more questions there, especially more questions about what could be deemed inappropriate topics because it will be in a discord chat, not, not on a YouTube video. So, <laughs> yes. So, uh, and you can just, or you can just chill. You can just sit and talk about nothing, um, or whatever it's whatever you guys want to do. We can sit and complete an awkward and utter silence if you want to, it's whatever you guys want to do. Uh, but especially you can one, one-on-one, -on -one, you can ask us anything. If you have any biblical questions, any challenges, uh, whether it has anything to do with tonight or, or anything that's you, you get us, uh, we're, we sit there for about an hour and it's whatever you guys want to talk about. So anyway, yeah. maybe faith will talk too. <laughs> like, <laughs> you didn't say much tonight. <laughs> <laughs> She's just there making that she's she's making the whole um the whole video look nicer with her presence. <laughs> yeah, that's the goal. <laughs> all right. Well, it's been great. It's been fun, everyone. We love all of you. Uh Seamus again, our shout out to our patron supporters. In fact, let's get it up here. Um I'm gonna say you you're the guy who does that, man. <laughs> uh, I gotta get rid of this. Uh all right. nope, nope. 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 Yeah, whatever. Uh, why is it saying remove? There we go. I was like, what the, why won't it come up? I was clicking on it. And it wasn't doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And and this may be going away after a little while, the the, the Patreon. Like we said, we're, we're probably going to phase the Patreon over into the website uh, as you will be while, able to. Yeah. Yeah. It, it'll take a while. Um, but, but yeah, there, there will be, you know, paid memberships and whatnot for the website with certain exclusive content. Uh, certain courses uh, will probably be exclusive courses, but there will certainly be some free ones. Um, yeah, super stoked about the website um, and, and, and the merch, as always. Matter of fact, I think the next T-shirt and hoodie I have to make is, is it's part as time. That's right. A part as time. It's part as time. <laughs> um, so once again, I, I don't know if we put it in the bio, but patreon.com slash alternate media. Um, and uh, in fact, everything, Discord, Instagram, Facebook, you name it, YouTube slash alternate media. Don't forget two A's, Altar. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, that's it. That's it um, for me. I think that's it for you, unless you got something else to add. I got just a little bit left for a Lachaim. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Yeah, I will definitely catch all of you, hopefully, in the after part as we love you guys. Thank you for tuning in tonight. And as always, Lachaim. <laughs> <laughs>